Hello, everybody, and welcome to another one in our series of Financial Wellbeing Podcasts. My name's David Lloyd. I'm a broadcaster, I'm a writer, I'm an actor, I'm, I do all sorts of things, actually. Uh, but one of the things that I do on a semi-regular basis, which I enjoy very much, is getting together with my two friends in this room to talk about money. And my two friends are... Chris Budd. Hello, everybody. And... Tom Morris. Hello, everyone. Excellent. Chris, tell us about yourself. Well, David, I have been spending quite a bit of time writing an online programme for business owners. Regular listeners will know that I founded and ran Ovation Finance, financial planning company, for many years. And I sold it last year to something called an Employee Ownership Trust. And I now work with, consult with, whatever you want to call it, um, other business owners who'd like to do the same thing. But it's generated so much interest that I can't cope. So I decided last year to turn all the work that I do into an online programme and we've now got two of the three courses fully launched. We've got owners going through it, giving them everything that you would need to make your business one that will, in theory, at least last forever. So it's called the Eternal Business Programme, based upon the Eternal Business book, which came out last year as well. So I've been absolutely stacked. I've spent the last six weeks writing an HR programme to help companies create a people-centric working environment. That is not a sentence I thought I would ever say. (laughs) Or indeed, one that I understood. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Tomo, tell us a little bit about yourself. We always listen to what's going on in Chris's life, sometimes some little nuggets from myself. You there remain impassive, the knowledgeable person, the finance guy, the money man. What's been happening in your life? He's a mystery. Yes. Um, well, I'm still trying to uh, work out what being a dad is all about. Toby turned two. So, um, yeah, he's, he's using up a fair bit of energy, but I love every second of it. And then Ovation. Obviously, we talked previously about how we went employee-owned last year, so took on a finance management role. And really, my my day to day time is taken up looking after people like yourself, David, and making sure that their financial plans are met and they're doing all the things that they want to do. And ultimately, not having the sleepless nights about money, but but we are instead. I wonder we might have a bit of Twitter fun. I wonder if people would like to tweet us where they think Tomo is from, based solely upon his accent. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> so it's at Finn Wellbeing. Um, drop us a line. There's also the email address as well, which is we, at the end of the podcast. Where's Tomo? What town does Tomo hail from? Simply by his accent. Oh God, you can't I, answer I get, that, Tomo. Oh, no, you're not allowed to play. You can't play because you know the answer. So moving away from Tomo, who already feels he's given far too much away, <laughs> about himself, his body language just right by there. opening Crossed his arms, just by right. opening Crossed his mouth. <laughs> Uh, be nice on Twitter. <laughs> Chris, what are we doing today in the podcast? So today, David, we have an interview that I've done with a chap called Warren Shute. And Warren has a book out about financial planning. He's a very experienced financial planner. And we do a lot of talking on these podcasts about the the thoughtful nature, about how we can change our approach to life, what we can do to make ourselves happier. But every once in a while, we'd like to stick something in of just some good, solid, practical tips. And that's what Warren is all about. He's got great ideas of simplifying money. I chat to him about his book and the content of his book, and uh, he's a very cheerful chap. Look forward to hearing that. Have we got any listeners' questions this week, I've got a question for Tomo this week. Oh, crikey. By the way, I've not got any prep yeah. for this. So Actually, here we it's go. really easy one, but it came to me via Twitter. 
And it's a very simple one, but I thought, well, if this person's asking this question, maybe other people would be wondering this as well. And it's simply this. Is it possible to open a cash ISA and a stocks and shares ISA in the same tax year? That's a good question. Actually, one that does come up quite often. The answer is yes. You simply have a £20,000 annual limit and you can put, let's use an example, 10000 in a cash ISA, 10000 in a stocks and shares ISA, or you could put 19999 in a stocks and shares ISA and, and, and £1 in a cash ISA. As long as you don't go over that £20,000 limit each year, you can have both at the same time. And just remind us, those less financially knowledgeable than others, in one sentence, if you can, what are the advantages of an ISA? Tax-free growth. Fantastic. That sums it up quite well, doesn't it? <laughs> Tax-free and everybody's eyes light up. <laughs> We're now going to come to one of the more popular features. In fact, the most popular feature of the podcast, which is Tight Ass Tomo. Every so often, I just need to remind you about where this came from. Tomo, our producer, was taking Chris and another colleague out for lunch. It was his turn to pay. He steered them towards a particular restaurant and a particular item on the menu which they enjoyed very much. It was very good food. We have to stress that. But as it turned out, it just so happened that Tomo had a voucher for that particular meal at that particular restaurant, which is essentially meant he got it for hardly any money at all. And so the legend that is, Titus Tomo was born. Before. The legend that, that has been enhanced uh, often since, I think it's worth <laughs> saying. <laughs> this is not an isolated incident. <laughs> Indeed. So before we come on to the Prince of Parsimony's tip this week, Chris, have you got anything? Della Hudson, who is an old friend of the podcast, uh, came up with perhaps a little extreme tip. TV licence is free for the over 75s. But the rule is you have to have an over 75-year-old in the household. So Della's tip is to get a free TV licence, get your granny to come and live with you. That's a hell of a price to pay, though, isn't it? <laughs> 75 quid. How much is a TV licence? It's about 75 quid, isn't it? It's more than that. Is it? I don't know, because I pay mine on direct Well, likewise, likewise. It's 100 and something. Is it really? Yes, it is. It's about 160-odd quid. Yeah. No. yeah, yeah. Don't ask me a price for a pint of milk. I'll be no. like one of those Tory MPs. I haven't got <laughs> it's right. Anymore. But by the way, you know that TV licence that we're all paying for? It's being pumped into podcasts that are drowning out independent podcasts <laughs> like ourselves. <laughs> You can see there's a gripe. There's a gripe. <laughs> no it, it stifles any well, kind of creativity and competition in this I'm country. I'm a big fan of public service broadcasting, so I'm going to stick up for the BBC if and the licence used in me. the right way. You see what you've done, David? You gave him the opportunity to say something about himself, and you've unleashed him now. <laughs> opinions will be flying all over the place. Right then, before we hear any more of your radical opinions, <laughs> what's your tight-ass Tomo tip for this week? Um, well, this week, I thought I'd just go back on a couple of tips that I've given before and, and I've used since. So the first one I, I mentioned a while back about reselling or buying things on Facebook. There's communities growing and growing on Facebook, which means you can pick things up very cheaply and also sell things that you don't need anymore. Well, we were in need of a new sofa, or at least that's what my wife Lindsay thought. And I was quite keen not to spend too much money, as you can imagine, tight as Tomo. And she was hunting on on a Sunday evening on Facebook and somebody was just desperate to get rid of their old sofa which looked perfectly fine to us exactly what we wanted he said if you could collect it you can have it for free so there you go I had a nice new sofa well newish sofa uh, it just didn't cost us any money just borrowed a borrowed a van picked it up and it's pride of place and absolutely love it so there you go brilliant once again a great tip of how to get stuff for free we like that can't get much tighter than free yeah, can well, you no. exactly <laughs> exactly and I, I just just one more I had um, 
A friend of mine who's a fellow financial planner, Gretchen Betts, who, who's based in, in Cardiff with a phone called Magenta, she popped in because she was in Bristol to say hello. We had a coffee and she was going out to lunch to the place where it, where it all up, began. Where it all began. And I said, you've got to get this app, you've got to get this. She just turned to me and said, God, you're such a tight ass. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think proceeded to just go and just buy whatever was on the menu. So, uh, but no, it was good to see her anyway. Great. Okay, Chris. Remind us again who you're talking to this week. So we're going to have a chat with Warren Shute, who's been a financial planner for many, many years. He's got a new book out. We'll be on Twitter giving away free copies of this book. So if you're re- listening to this podcast at the time it's out, then do keep it on our Twitter account. And let's have a listen to my chat with Warren Shute. Warren, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Chris. So looking forward to it. So you've been a financial planner for quite a few years now. Just give us a couple of lines on your, on your pedigree, if you will. So I originally started back in 1995 as a Tide agent and I trained for about a year before I went independent and I went independent. I worked in Surrey and West Byfleet and had some great training with a firm called Interreliance right in the early days. This must have been sort of late 1995, early 96. And then um, after a few stints with a few different firms, I set up Lexington, which is currently Lexington Wealth Management. It's had different names throughout the years. And we've been big in size and then we've condensed in size. So at one point we had about 15 staff, so that's quite large for a financial planning firm. And now we are four, four staff. And we do a bit of outsourcing as well. So we use technology and we outsource different work jobs and things. And um, it's great. I love it. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I, I enjoy the business and I enjoy financial planning. And uh, yeah, I, I've got a nice little practice. Great. So that's, that's the career, Warren. But you've written this book called The Money Plan, all about planning for uh, financial security. Uh, I, if I could just ask a bold question, why would our listeners believe that you know what you're talking about? Okay, well, no, and I think they should ask that as well, because there's so many people out there preaching or saying things they can do something, but they've never actually walked the talk. So for the last 23 years, I've been sitting in front of clients doing financial planning. I'm a fellow of the Institute of Financial Planning, or what it is now the Chartered Institute of Securities Investments. I'm um, a master's degree in financial planning and business, and I'm a chartered financial planner, wealth manager, whatever you want to call it these days. I love financial planning. I absolutely love it. I've got a passion with it. And what I noticed over the years is my clients were getting wealthier and wealthier. And that's not just my existing clients, the clients who came in to see us. So that's part of the job. And you'll probably find the same sort of trend with most financial planners. But what I really realized was there's lots of people out there who weren't getting advice from someone who could help them. Maybe they didn't earn enough money. Maybe they didn't have enough money. Or maybe they were even put off by the name wealth management. Because we call Lexington Wealth Management. And even some of my wealthy clients come in and say, I'm not really wealthy. So it's quite intimidating. And I wanted to reach out and give back. So um, I was very fortunate. I won the Financial Planner of the Year Award from the CISI, the Financial Planning Institute. And uh, I thought, what a great opportunity now that I've, I've received this, now to go back and say, okay, let me go and give something back to the masses. I don't think there's any qualification that you haven't got there in that case. I'm, I'm convinced, Warren. I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> so we, in the Financial Wellbeing podcast, we, we talk a lot about money and happiness. Well, that's the point of it, really, is, is how money can make us happier, not just wealthier. But we do sometimes, I think, go a little bit philosophical. So we've got you on because you're down-to-earth practical advice. So let's get straight into some of that stuff. In the introduction to the book, you comment that we save not for growth, but for security, which is a really interesting observation. Can you expand on that? Okay, so I wrote the book. I had two things in mind. The avatar, the individual who was listening to the book had no idea about money. 
Okay, so we're aiming at someone who really doesn't understand money and needs to sort of be able to take them from the very basics. But also, I wrote it in such a way that my publisher's remit was they get on the train at Paddington, they get off the train at Manchester, they need to have read the book and taken action from it. So when I was writing that, I wanted really people to understand that when you save in the bank, you're not going to create wealth. You put the money in the bank for security. I really wanted to get home the importance of having an emergency reserve, having enough money in the bank to cover the emergencies, the three to 12 months of your expenditure sat in a safe place. Once you've got that covered, you need to invest. You need to get into the stock market and start putting money away so you have enough money for those days when you stop working. Okay, that's fantastic. So uh, this is going to come nicely on, I think, to the other concept that I think is at the heart of your book, which is a lovely, lovely idea, which is the house of wealth. Talk me through that concept. Well, I I think financial planning, we use so many acronyms. and There are so many component parts to what we do. I wanted to simplify in such a way that in a snapshot, the reader could get, ah, I understand what I'm doing. Now, they're never going to get everything in one snapshot, but if I could give them the basics, what's going on, that's what it would be. And the House of Wealth actually was developed years ago, probably the late 90s, when I used to do seminars. I used to do seminars on financial planning, and that's how I started growing my business. And I would show people this House of Wealth, and I've simplified it over the years. And basically, it has the financial foundations is the, is the center of it. So the financial foundations, there are eight financial foundations, three that I believe are essential, and five that I think people should consider. The three essential ones are emergency cash, we just touched on, a will, and a power of attorney. I think everyone over the age of 18 has to have those three things, okay? The other five things, life insurance, disability insurance, critical illness, medical insurance, general insurance, uh, income protection, I think you can consider those. They're considerations because some people say, actually, I don't need that, I don't want that, I'll carry that risk myself. But at least it's brought to their attention. And then we go from security, independence, and freedom, up the hierarchy of creating wealth so you've got enough money so you know where you are building it's almost like uh martial arts we have belts uh going through the grading system okay so and we end up in the loft of your house with financial freedom and that's everything that you're doing is hopefully pointing people towards that ultimate goal isn't it yeah so i think the important thing is is when we create financial freedom what we're really saying is we're able to stop working we're able to stop doing the things we do every day because we have enough money coming in to support our lifestyle. And generally, most people achieve financial freedom when they get to retirement. So we get to a retirement age, our state pension kicks in, our defined benefit pension kicks in, our personal pensions kick in, and we say, okay, we now have enough money to replace our income. It's, it's about planning it. So step one in the five-step process, and I know you might want to come on to that in a second, is, is having outcomes, have goals. What's your vision? What does it look like? So make sure we, we're organized, we know what's going on to start off with, and then we in, make decisions intentionally to work towards our outcome. Okay, so you're deliberately poking me there. <laughs> and I'll rise, I'll rise, because um, you're quite right. This, the subject of goals is an interesting topic. And I listen to the podcast, and I'm not a fan of the word goals. But you are, which is fine. So perhaps you could explain how goals have worked for you and, and how they work for your clients. And perhaps I'll just give a little bit of my opinion towards the end, then oh. we can see where we end up. In general, I think goals can be rebadged. It's really, what's your outcome? What is it you want to do? Why are you getting up in the morning? Why do you get up in the morning and you go to work? What what is it you're trying to achieve? And that's really what a goal is. A goal is just really an outcome, something I'm working towards. But if you've ever set yourself something, well, actually, in the next 12 months, I want to achieve this. And then when you achieve it, the personal pride, the personal satisfaction, the rise of your esteem, 
makes you feel good. And I think most of us have at some point set some kind of outcome or goal. And I know you must have, Chris, because of all the exams you've done. You must have, well, actually, I want to get this outcome, I want to get this goal, I want to get this exam. And then you've achieved it, you must feel good about it. Well, I mean, I'd pick up on that because no, I only ever did exams because I had to do them. <laughs> I know. Well, I what, guess the argument is, why did you have to do them? What was it you wanted? Yeah, you're quite right. And so, so I guess that's my objection to the word goals. And you've immediately uh, circumnavigated me <laughs> by changing it to outcomes. I totally am with you on that. Cause but, do you know what? I think outcomes is a better word because we always get an outcome. We don't always get the goal. No. Does that make sense? But I think most people are familiar with the word goal. Yeah. The, th- the trouble with goals for me is that uh, it's finite. And once you've achieved the goal, well, then what? But that's why your outcomes is a better word, because once you've achieved the goal, what is that giving you? Once I passed those exams, it enabled me to, I don't know, provide advice in a certain way or give coaching in a certain way. So objectives, motivations, outcomes, it's, it, maybe it's a little pedantic, but... No, 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 I, I agree with you. I liked it in your book about the 90-day check-in, which, which is a really nice concept around this idea of having something to work towards. Tell us how that works. Well, I think most people are fearful of setting goals because we all relate it back to New Year's resolutions. So New Year's Eve, we stand there celebrating, you know, we say, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to stop this, or we're going to do this, or we're going to start this. So with goals, rather than just setting and forgetting, what I try and get people to do is to set a goal, set an outcome, what they're looking for, and then break it down and say, okay, it might be, for example, we want to lose 52 pounds. So, wow, that's a lot of weight. But why don't we try and set an interim goal, a target, a check-in? So after 12 weeks, we're saying, okay, are we into that 12-week plan? Are we 12 pounds lighter? Or have we got a certain amount of debt we want to pay off in the year? So we might have 1,200 pounds of debt we want to try and pay off. Have we paid 100 pounds of debt off in the first month? So what we're doing is we're taking a a 12-month goal and we're breaking it down to check-ins. And we try and check in every 90 days. And we look at the 90-day check-in and that should take us about a quarter of the way towards our year outcome. That makes sense. Breaking it down a bit. I'm a big cricket fan and a good tip for batsmen is if you're chasing a big total, if you don't think I've got to score 200, you think I've got to score 20 and then we'll see where we are. Similar sort of principle, isn't it? I, I think it is. And I think when we got to achieve anything like that, last year I did my first triathlon sprint. Okay, so when I first was invited... Sorry, I had to... Triathlon sprint, that sounds about the worst of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a triathlon, but it's a shorter version. Okay. And uh, it's not the big Ironman ones. When I was first introduced to doing it, I thought, goodness me, this is such a big task. And then I just reminded myself, of, actually, it's like anything you want to achieve in life. If on my first day in 95 of starting as a financial advisor, I thought, okay, I want to be a fellow, it would have been such a mammoth task. I had these three exams that I needed to pass. I just focused on those first three and I worked towards it. In the check-ins, the 90-day check-ins are exactly the same. Whatever you want to do is just set your outcome and then break it down as you go along to baby steps. Mm. I think it's great advice. I, I, one thing that it just interests me a little here, maybe a slight digression, uh, but as one financial planner to another, one of the, my theories about money is that people very often just don't want to think about it, which is one of the reasons why they employ us, so that they can kind of abdicate the responsibility for their own money to somebody else. You're yeah. going in the opposite direction, aren't you? You're, you're saying to people, no, take control. I think what I'm doing is I'm saying to people, if you want to take control yourself, then this is a proven method that works. There are many, many strategies. If the listener goes and meets with three or four different financial planners, they'll probably get three or four variations of the similar advice. There are different ways of achieving the similar outcome. And I think what I'm trying to do is say to people, look, if you don't want to go and see a financial planner, 
then this is a method that will work for you. I think for a lot of people, particularly those who have more wealth, there's a lot more in-depth information and knowledge that they could do with being helped with regarding estate planning stuff, which we won't even touch on. They would value going to see a financial planner. But quite often not, if you're just getting by or you're struggling to pay the bills, the money plan is a great five-step process to start you on the journey. And of course, the people who can't yet afford a financial planner. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. For those people who can't afford a financial planner, you're right. So one area that we don't ever really get into on the podcast is mortgages. And this is something that you've got some really interesting stuff on. So could you perhaps share a few of your tips for people about how they can get rid of their mortgages as quickly as they can? Yeah, sure. So one, one of the things that we try to get people to do is, and I've done it in my own business, all the principles that are shared in the book are generally principles that I've taken from my day-to-day work with my clients, not something I've just created up. And one of the things that we talk, generally talk about is trying to save at least the first hour of a working day. So trying to get everyone to save at least 12.5% of their income. And within the book, what we talk about is allocating that 12.5% between retirement planning and also mortgage overpayment. So for example, once you've gone through the first few steps, so once you've got your outcome, you've set some goals, you know what your compelling vision looks like, what you want to move towards, you've got yourself financially organized. So we talk about bank account systems, we talk about pocket money systems for children. Once you've done your financial foundations, you've done your will, your power attorneys and things, and you've paid off your unsecured debt, so your unsecured debt stocks, so credit cards and loans, that kind of thing. And generally, we pay them off first because they're higher rates of interest. We're then looking to invest in the future. Now, there are different types of people out there. Some people who are more optimistic, who will say, my average investment returns more than the cost of my interest on my mortgage, so I'd like to invest. And there are other people out there who would say, well, actually, no, the certainty, the guaranteed return I'll get by paying my mortgage down, I'm going to do that first, and then I'll invest. And I think you should do both, because I think both are right. Because I think the guaranteed certainty of paying your mortgage down builds absolute certain wealth and also creates financial security for you. There's also an emotional thing with paying off debt as well, isn't there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a real good factor when you see your mortgage balance coming down year by year. But also with investing. I think investing matures you when you try to understand what's going on with your investing when you see your investments growing over time then you mature as an investor and you become more grown up and more financially sophisticated so by doing the two things simultaneously gives you the best of both worlds so we get people to allocate their their snowball we refer to their snowball this 12 and a half percent or any other additional money they have left over towards both so they're paying them down paying your debt down as quick as you can and also building up your investment program I think a lot of what you write about and, and hearing you talk with such enthusiasm, uh, it really is all about people engaging, isn't it? Actually doing something. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think these podcasts, your podcast here is fantastic medium for that because they get access in their own homes to this wonderful information from highly qualified people and just learning and engaging themselves. I don't think anybody else is going to look after us. We're there, we're there for ourselves. We have to look after ourselves financially. We can't rely on anybody else to do it in our retirement. Yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's wise advice. And we also can't bury our heads in the sand and just think it'll all be all right one day, can we? No, absolutely. In retirement, approaches very, very quickly. You know, it's quite scary how the years fly past. I'd like the, uh, the idea of breaking these things down because a 30-year-old thinking about retirement well, 30 35 years away isn't it and therefore they just because it's such a big thing they just don't do anything at all a lot of people so breaking it down to smaller targets would at least get you doing something wouldn't it and making it automatic so taking routine thought out of it so the bank account system which i cover in step two is about automating as much of your decision making as possible because let's face it 
finance and money isn't generally speaking the most enjoyable exciting topic of conversation okay so it is for you isn't it it is for you be uh, honest (laughs) i do like it but i think what i do like is i don't like the money itself i like what money gives us i like the opportunities that come from the sensible and the good planning so setting your goals and fulfilling your goals and working through them that's what excites me because i've been doing this for so long and you've set these goals and you achieve them you work it's quite exciting what the future is going to bring do you think having a father who was american has made any difference to your outlook on money to other people that you know who are i think you spent time in america as well you said you know so so people who haven't had exposure to that are you is your attitude any different do you think i think uh, yes is a short answer yes i do i think from a very early age i would have uncles visit and i would go over and stay with family and i'd have exposure to them and they would often talk about stock market investing so although we wouldn't necessarily talk about specifics and things they would generally talk about stock market investing whereas back in the uk when i was growing up there wasn't a single word spoken about it in 1993 five something like that when i first did my first investments which was in the American stock market, I had to open up an American Charles Schwab stockbroker account because I couldn't get one in the UK. Wow. Wow, isn't that revealing? I, yeah. uh, over the course of these podcasts, we've spoken to a few people in France and Sweden and various places. And I, I do find it fascinating, the different approaches to money in different countries. And there are considerable differences, actually. In, in, are they less stock market prevalent? Are they more sort of property or? The interview we did with Haftis Huld, which was from Iceland, they, in Iceland it was very much more about um, not really being that fussed about wealth. Uh, it was much more about happiness and, and well-being and what you do with during the day. So, no, I can't imagine the stock market conversation would ever happen in a household in Iceland from what Haftis was saying. And I think what's really important to say, though, is that the investing and the wealth creation is put in place so that you can have the options later on in life. It's not creating money for money's sake kind of thing. Yeah, amen to that. Well said, well said. So just to finish off then, in your many years as a financial planner, Warren, you must have seen many occasions where just the sheer act of planning has created happiness and well-being in people. Can you share a few of those stories from clients? Keeping names out, I assume. <laughs> There's lots. I've got a client literally at the moment who um, we met about a year ago. He's been a client for a number of years, so he had the opportunity to take earlier retirement. And his cash flow, his financial plan showed that it was absolutely fine. He could do that. He's become a different person. He's so much more relaxed now. He was always a nice person, but he was always sort of busy, always on edge. And they started off traveling around the UK in a camper van just to build their confidence, make sure that, and right now they're traveling around Europe. And they've set up a Facebook group, and we're a member of the Facebook group, and we see where they are, and they'll be getting sort of breakfast from a market town in Toulouse or somewhere one day, and then traveling further down and doing sitting on the beach the next. It's lovely to see that come to fruition, really, as part of the financial planning process. Yeah, I can um, think of um, I can think of a client who similar advice and yet completely different outcome because we told them that they didn't have to work anymore, or that they had financial independence, and they said fantastic, and then carried on working. <laughs> but they were yeah. carried on working because that's what they wanted to do, and started to enjoy it so much more. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's important to remember because I think work gives us more than money sometimes. I think work can give us contribution and connection. It can stimulate our brain. And one of the things I do try and ensure that people do when they do retire is that they have something to carry them on through their retirement years. I've got one particular client who ran a very successful business for a number of years, but he was always in the office or in the factory and his wife was always at home. 
So when he retired, we got him to try this older business. We really then encouraged him to take up further activities and hobbies. And he actually did uh, family history research. So they traveled around the UK and Ireland, researching their history of their family. And he did that for a number of years and he got lots of fulfillment from that. But he also, that now he's 10, 15 years, he's doing woodwork. So he's kind of transferred his passion, enthusiasm, his energy from business to family history. And now he makes some lovely woodwork sculptures in the back of his garden. So it's about stimulation, I think. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And it's also about just knowing uh, what, that the future is okay. And that gives you freedom in the present as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, you know, particularly as we age, as we approach our retirement years, we become more vulnerable. And I think certainty becomes more valuable to us as individuals and making sure that we know that we have enough money. And that's why maybe the life of the annuity will never end. Because I think for some people, just having that certainty of income through their retirement years is reassurance. So the message I think coming out of all of this is that planning is the important thing. But if you can't afford to pay somebody else to do it for you, you need a good solid route to follow. And that's what your book gives us. Brilliant. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate you joining us, Warren. Thanks ever so much. Thank you. Take care. Very interesting chat with Warren there. I thought coming up with some really useful, practical tips. Yeah, I I really like his house of wealth analogy. Look, there's nothing drastically new in this. But what he's doing is he's taking for people who perhaps are a little afraid of finances or, or just avoid the subject completely. He's getting a really, really good framework so that you can work it through and get to grips with your finances. I love the idea that in the roof of his house of wealth is freedom, um, because a big part of financial well-being just to link some theory back to this is having options. This is one of our five planks of financial well-being. And so his house of wealth approach ends up with having options in life, and that brings happiness. So we like that a lot. Yes, and I also like the fact that he breaks things down into achievable chunks, and you had that interesting semantic debate about whether it's a goal or an outcome. But I think whatever you call it, what I did like about that was the fact that rather than setting off... So an analogy, which I think I may have used before on the podcast, is that I want went to Everest Base Camp. But in order to get there, I couldn't just turn up on the day and go, oh, I think I'm going to go up to 19,000 feet now, where there's only 50% oxygen in the atmosphere. Uh, because had I have attempted to do that, I never would have made it. But actually what I did is I trained and I prepared for it, and I took it step by step. Went up a little bit, acclimatised, came down a little bit. So over a period of 10 days, I was able to get to Everest Base Camp. And it's by setting myself smaller targets and not really thinking too much about the enormity of where I was heading, it actually became an achievable goal. And I thought that's a very, very good analogy. There's a very famous quote in Cricket, I can't remember, you'll know who said this, David. Two batsmen facing an enormous total, and one said to the other, don't worry, we'll get them in singles. <laughs> and I think that's a really good approach. Um, checking in every 90 days, looking at, you know, don't just set a goal and forget it. I thought that's a great phrase, setting and forgetting. Yes, you know, I was particularly yeah. taken with your notion that one day you might actually set yourself a target of scoring 200 <laughs> runs as well. You'd have to do some running, though, right? You can't just get it all in boundaries. <laughs> I, I, I just, sorry, just button in there, I thought, Practically speaking, that idea of setting little goals, a really easy way that once you come into the check-in that it's done, is automate things. Uh, We bring it back to finances. If you need to put some money away, set up a direct debit. So it goes out almost on the payday, goes out the bank account. All of a sudden, three months, six months, 12 months down the line, you're looking at an account that, oh, crikey, that's happened because you haven't had to think about it. 
Yes, very, very true. Another thing that struck me about that interview as well, uh, and it's something that we've been talking about in our series of retirement podcasts as well, about how he says retirement can creep up on you unexpectedly. And certainly that's been my experience recently. I can remember, I can hear the voice of my dad now when I was 21, 22, and probably got my first job on my first pay packet and him saying, well, make sure you took some money away for, you know, for retirement for the future. And of course, I thought, well, why would I ever want to do that? And then all of a sudden, 40 odd years further on, it becomes a reality. They do say life speeds up as you get older, don't they? It's very true. Take it from me. So lots to think about there. We hope you've enjoyed that interview. We always try and bring you somebody a little bit different with a fresh perspective on attitudes to money. And obviously, in the end, it's all about us trying to help you improve your financial well-being. And if you're finding these podcasts useful, please do tune in next time. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing podcast. More interesting than you might think. Thank you.